Well, the book of Revelation is one that is uh, thought of in lots of different ways by lots of different people, isn't it? Lots of people are scared of it and kind of stay away from it because of the different images that are described there. But what we need to remember to help us to grasp and enjoy Revelation is this. It was written to real Christians in the first century to encourage them in their struggles. That's why it was written. It wasn't written as a puzzle for us to try and work out and try and find out the exact time that Jesus will return or something like that. No, it is there to encourage Christians. So here are Christians in the first century that were about to face or probably in the middle of facing intense persecution. They were told and they were commanded, like all the people around, to go and worship Caesar, to declare that Caesar is Lord. But what did they believe? Jesus is Lord. And so they didn't. They didn't worship Caesar. They didn't praise him. And because of that, they were facing ridicule, imprisonment, uh, death even, because they trusted in Jesus. Not only that was they, were they facing the pressure from outside, but in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, the churches have just been spoken to by Jesus. He has just done kind of a, a report on them, like a school inspection, as it were, on these churches. And they have come up far short. These churches have, some have lost their first love. These churches, some are compromising on the gospel. They're teaching false uh, messages and believing false teaching. Some of them are making Jesus vomit, we're told because of how they're acting. So these churches are in a bad way, in a bad state. The Christians are facing pressure from all around. The, everything's a mess, it seems. Everything's upside down. And it's easy for them, and it will be easy for them to think, well, where is the hope? What hope is there for the church? What hope is there for me as a Christian? And so where does John take us? What does the writer of Revelation, what does he see next? Well, he sees in verse 1, a door standing open in heaven. He gets a glimpse of the reality of what's happening right now in heaven. And he sees the throne. What did these Christians need to get and understand as they faced real tumultuous times, as they faced discouragement and despair? They needed to see the throne of God and see his glory. This morning, in the uncertainty of the year ahead that we face, in the unknown days that come, even if we didn't have COVID, even if we didn't have to wear masks and sit here like this, spread out, the year ahead would still be uncertain. We would still face challenges that we are not yet expecting. How do we face them? Maybe we feel spiritually, we're struggling and we, we don't know where to turn. We don't know how to go on. Maybe we're feeling discouraged. Maybe we've been praying for things and they ha we haven't seen answer to prayer and we thought the way we thought God had. Where do we turn? Well, this morning we're going to turn to the throne, the throne of heaven, the throne of glory. And over these next two uh, mornings that we'll spend in Revelation 4 and 5, we're going to gaze at the throne and there find encouragement. Because when we see the effect that this book had on those early Christians, the church still exists, doesn't it? The gospel kept going. These Christians stood up to this power, superpower of Rome. They stood up to it and the world turned upside down. What helped them to keep going? The visions in Revelation, the glory of God. What's gonna help us keep going this year? What's gonna help us face anything that this year throws at us? It's this vision of the glory of God. So please pray with me in your hearts as we look at this. I can't get this across. 
but my prayer is that as we look at this our heart would be enlarged our eyes would would see something of his greatness and his power and would put in context all the other things we face so what truths will keep us going whatever this year throws at us we're going to look at three this morning the first is this god is bigger and more glorious than you realize god is bigger and more glorious than you realize the book of revelation means revealing or unveiling so what we're getting here is we are seeing realities that are true right now but that we can't see with our eyes as as they are now so we're seeing behind the scenes as it were maybe you like looking at behind the scenes of films and seeing what happens and how they make things or what's really going on behind the camera well here we get to see what's really going on in heaven and these chapters as i said verse one this door is open and john is shown and he gets to peek into heaven what's really going on now and look what he sees verse two at once i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and there was one seated on the throne and he's trying to get it across he sees the throne of heaven and he's trying to describe it and he's trying to describe something so great and glorious that the pictures here do sound strange and they are hard to pin down what they exactly mean and you can read lots of different interpretations of what these different things mean but the big picture is glory and greatness the key to understanding revelation is the old testament so many of the things here we see come up in the old testament and so we go back there and then that helps us understand these chapters so two passages that help us to unlock this chapter is ezekiel 1 and isaiah 6. there we get this vision of god isaiah remembers in the temple and he sees that the train of the robe filling the temple and he sees one seated on the throne in ezekiel 1 again we get this image of the throne and lots of references from those chapters come up here so that's what's going to help us to understand what's going on so what do we see when john sees this throne what is it telling us about god it tells us first of all he's the king of all kings here is the throne upon of all thrones in isaiah 6 it's compared to uzziah the king has died in the year king uzziah died in isaiah 6 it says he sees the throne a throne above the king in ezekiel it's written at the time of exile and there are lots of different powers coming and going but who does he see he sees the throne there is one who is the king above all kings the one who is above every rule and authority so as kings and rulers come and go as presidents and prime ministers come and go there is a throne that is above every throne the king of kings and that is what we're getting a glimpse of now he rules he reigns he's the boss he's the king there is power and authority here that we always and often forget about our god what's this throne showing us about god he's the king of all kings not only that but he, we're told how how glorious and beautiful he is john tries to describe god doesn't he but he he can't he's trying to put into words something that he can't get across so glorious so beautiful look at what we're told he who sat there in verse 3 had the appearance of he's trying to think of things in this world to try and get across the appearance of jasper and carnelian and round the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald there is just light there is glory there is brightness there is beauty that's what he's trying to get across here if we were there we would just fall on our face because of the glory and the greatness 
We don't really get that now in our world, do we, in our life? At, at times where we feel awed and, and amazed at something majestic, perhaps the closest we get is things like a thunderstorm or things like the Grand Canyon, you know, beautiful views that just make us go, wow. And they're only a small part of what we're getting across here. But if we were to see the glory and the beauty, we would just be in awe, true awe of our God. See, he is glorious, he is beauty. But look what else we're told, verse 5. Then we see from the throne, there, there are flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Now, what is that getting across? Well, think of being in the middle of a huge storm, a really big storm. The crashes of thunder, the, the flashes of lightning, the power there. In a moment, they can set a house on fire, can't they? And you see that sometimes, don't they? When they strike something, you think, dear me, the power of nature. And we just can't answer it. Here we're seeing there is a power here greater than us that we can't grasp. And in fact, as I said, this is, helps us, uh, the Old Testament helps us to unlock Revelation. Here this reminds us of Mount Sinai. Let me read from Exodus 19. There they were, there was thunder and lightning and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, and the Lord descended on it in fire. So do you see the idea of thunder and lightning? God was present. There was greatness. There was glory. Wow. Awe, king, majesty, beauty. That's the vision we're getting here. Here is a glorious, amazing God. But the other thing that's interesting is when it tells us that around the throne, all the way around, is a rainbow. That's a strange thing to point out, isn't it? Why a rainbow? Well, again, what does the Old Testament tell us about a rainbow? Where do we see a rainbow appear for the first time? Well, it's in Noah, isn't it? There, the, the bow was put in the sky. And God, it was a reminder from God to, to show us his mercy and his promise. I won't destroy the world again. Even though you might rebel, I won't flood it. Uh, Spurgeon points out something wonderful about that bow. Uh, he, he says this, he's, you know, the, the bow in the air is an instrument of war. That's what a bow is, isn't it? That, that's the language used, is one of a bow and arrow. It's an instrument of war. And, and so the threat, uh, you know, you see, you can imagine the gods, as it were, of other um, religions or other thoughts would have their bows kind of pointing down at earth, ready to pass judgment. But God says, no, I'm going to rest my bow. And this bow is going to be pointing to the sky. The judgment we deserve is being taken in heaven. And it's a picture of Christ. Jesus took our judgment. He took our punishment. Jesus died on the cross to take the judgment we deserve. And when we see the bow in the sky, it's to remind us that the Prince of Heaven was struck in our place. He took the judgment. He took the blow because our God is one of mercy and grace. Even in his glory and majesty, there is a permanent reminder around the throne of his mercy and his grace towards us. So what do we see as we look at the throne? As heaven is, is revealed to us, it's peeled back, this door is open, we see a glorious, majestic, beautiful king. One we should be in awe of and just amazed by, and one who wonderfully is of, full of mercy and grace. Now, how do we respond to that? Well, the first century Christians would have felt fearful, wouldn't they, at this time? 
fearful of the state of the church maybe fearful of threats from rome fearful for their families fearful for all kinds of things maybe they looked at the throne and caesar being low and that being the voice they heard all around and they just they trembled well john shows them i've seen something in heaven there's a bigger throne don't tremble at that tremble at this god have him as your fear and awe and then as we bring our fears before that god then the other fears fall into place we bring our lives and our fears and our worry bring it before the throne this morning when our view of god is big our problems become smaller when our view of god is small our problems become huge see god is bigger than you realize don't we shrink him down so much don't we make him as big as we are just maybe a little bit bigger don't we just try and accomplish what we can do in our own strength and then maybe pray about it or committed to him are there things in our life we think he can't fix are there sins in our life we think he can't forgive are there hurts in our life that we think he can't heal let's not restrict god this year in prince caspian um, lucy sees aslan again the lion in the narnia series and lucy says aslan you're bigger that's because you're older little one answered he not because you are i am not but every year you grow you will find me bigger that's a great picture isn't it as we grow to know more of god he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger so let's pray this year for us as a church that we get a, a glorious vision of a great and powerful god and that we don't shrink him down to our size let's pray that as we see him as more powerful our prayers become bigger our faith becomes bigger and we see him doing glorious things through us in our weakness this is how one writer puts it because as we see the greatness of god it has a profound effect if you don't see the greatness of god then the things that money can buy become very exciting if you can't see the sun you'll be impressed with the street light if you've never felt thunder and lightning you'll be impressed with fireworks and if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of god you'll fall in a love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures we need the greatness of god and we need that to shape our passions our hearts and our vision here is a god of greatness let's live in the light of that and always remembering around the throne is that rainbow we've got a god of love and mercy next time when we look at chapter five we'll see at the center of it all is jesus christ gaze on him on what he has done for you he loves you so much the lamb that was slain at the center of heaven what truths can help us keep going whatever this year throws at us god is bigger and more glorious than you realize the second thing is this here in this vision and to help us to keep going is god is the purpose we are made for he is the purpose we are made for look at verse four with me round the throne we see these 24 thrones all seated uh, around the throne and on those thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments now there's two main views on who those are uh, i think the most convincing would be this the 12 and 12 we see later on in revelation in revelation 20 and 21 we see the 12 being mentioned of the 12 stones in the wall being the tribes of israel and the 12 apostles and the picture there is 
all the believers, like the Old Testament believers and those following in the New Testament. So the, the, the 12 and 12 is 24. Yes, simple maths, but <laughs> 12 and 12 is 24. So around the throne, we get represented all the believers, old covenant, new covenant, those who've gone before us, or those maybe in our families who are now in heaven. These are pictured, they are kind of symbolic of and representing um, Christians uh, who, have, who have now gone to glory. And we're waiting for Jesus to, to kind of return and, and then have their resurrection bodies. So here they are, all of God's people represented around the throne. And next we move on to um, the verse 5. We see the flashes of lightning. And then around the throne in verse 6, on each side of the throne, we see four living creatures. Full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Well, again, we see these creatures in Ezekiel 6. And there we see they're depicted. They kind of, again, as the uh, elders uh, symbolize and, and depict the, all the Christians, these, this kind of, these creatures are representing all of creation. So you've got there um, a human, you know, the pinnacle of creation, wisdom of, the, 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 uh, of creation. Then you've got the lion, you know, picturing the strength, the king of the jungle, as it were. You've got the ox, who is a symbol of fertility of the animal world. You've got an eagle who shows that kind of speed and the, uh, and the care and the, 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 just representing those in flight. Can you see that all of creation is kind of represented by these creatures? And the idea is that they are there. And what are they doing? Verse 8, these uh, day and night never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They are singing praise to God. So here is the whole of creation, um, animals, humans, nature, all coming together and praising God. And what are they saying? Verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. All things exist because of you, Lord God. And these things were created to bring glory and honor to you, to point us to God. And so these beings and these elders are doing exactly what they were created to do, which is to enjoy God, to praise him, and they are entering into that life that they were made for. This is the reason we exist. We exist to live for God. We exist to honor him, to praise him. He is worthy of all honor and praise because he gives us our life. Every breath we have, every time our heart beats, is given by God. He created us to enjoy him, to draw near to him. So how do we do that? Well, we do that again. We, we, we do that because of Jesus, don't we? And because he has done everything necessary for us to be forgiven, for us to be in that relationship with God. But also, how do we fail to live for Jesus? How do we fail to honor God and live for him as we were meant to? Well, instead of God being on the throne, if we remove him, all of us still have some throne, something we are serving, something we are worshiping, something we do whatever it says. That could be our career. It could be our family. It could be finances. It could be a relationship. Something is on the throne of our life if it's not God and we do whatever it says. We put God's gifts and we put creation where the creator should be. What is that in your life? What have you put on the throne? 
because when something else is on the throne it just doesn't work because it doesn't have the the glory and the greatness that we need to live for it will let us down when we don't live for god when he's not on the throne things fall apart i remember many years ago my brother and i were in the car and we stopped for fuel um, put the fuel in and then about 10 miles down the road uh, the car stopped working now what happened we put the wrong fuel in the car we put petrol in a diesel car obviously i won't say which who did it um, but one of us did that and so the rac man came we weren't sure what happened he said yeah well you've put you've gone and put petrol in a diesel car and you just feel silly don't you because you put the wrong thing in the engine it doesn't work we were made to have god at the center of our lives that's where life works best doesn't mean all the problems go away of course not we, we live in a world that is is broken and fallen but when we live for him that's what life is made for. so that is why other things just let us down that is why other things will always disappoint because god is the only one big enough we were created for him to live for his glory now maybe as a believer this morning have you stopped living for jesus have you taken god off the throne and put something else there can you see the empty promises can you see the things that you've done to serve this god this idol this morning maybe it's time for us to repent and say lord i'm sorry and see that the promise of joy the promise of freedom that comes when we serve and live for god this is the purpose we were made for we were created to worship and live and honor god that's what these the the, the elders are doing that's what this these creatures are doing represented all of the creation praising and worshiping god so what helped these believers keeping going well do you see that the view of god here is enlarging our view isn't it god is bigger and more powerful than we realize god is uh, the purpose of us living huge big questions satisfied in god and the last thing is this um, what can keep us going whatever this year throw at us the deep peace that comes from knowing god's on the throne the deep peace that comes from knowing God's on the throne. As we try and grasp this amazing scene, there's loads of details, and we're not gonna be able to work everything out, but there are some that are clearer than others. I just wanted to zone in and focus in on some of them. One is this, just we, we read it, but let's just go back to it. Uh, the door of heaven is open. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a there was a throne stood in heaven, and this, this is the next few words, I just wanna pause on for a moment, with one seated, on the throne the throne of heaven is occupied you see that there is someone on the throne that means this world isn't spiraling out of control that means this world isn't um, just in, in chaos and mess that we might think without anybody on uh, ruling over all God is on the throne and we must remember that otherwise we'll be ending up in total despair that is not the view that the news has is it but we know the bigger picture. We're getting the behind the scenes view. There is a God who oversees all. And so we don't need to fear uh, in, that, in that kind of despairing way that, oh, everything's spiraling out of control. No, the throne of heaven is occupied. Think of what that would mean for the first century Christians. What were they thinking when at any moment the guards could rush in and arrest them, throw them to the lions? For those Christians who were being dipped in tar and set alight for Nero's parties. There's a higher throne than Nero. There's a higher throne than Caesar. I'm trusting in him, I'm following him. Maybe for you today, do you need to be reminded of that truth? God is on the throne. Whatever is happening in your life, 
whatever is going on in the world around us, the throne of heaven is occupied. Let's remember that this year. Every day, the throne of heaven is occupied. The other thing we see as we look closely at this throne, verse 6, we, we didn't deal with it earlier, but look what it tells us. Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now, the sea in Revelation comes up time and time again. You might remember when we looked at heaven a few weeks ago, it tells us there there was no sea in the new creation. And it was a picture because the sea in the Old Testament, again, the Old Testament helping us to unlock Revelation, was a picture of chaos, a picture of unknownness, an evil that would come out of it. The chaos of this world, as it were, was pictured in the sea. And so here it is, before the throne of heaven, this threatening sea, this chaos as we see it, is like a glassy sea to God. It's under his authority. So before the throne, the chaos of this world is under the authority of God. Now, perhaps there are things happening now or that will happen in the year to come, and we will be thinking, what on earth is going on? This is chaos. This is a mess. Like I said, you might be feeling like that right now. If not, at some point this year, we will feel like that. We need to remember that our God is on the throne, and even though things might seem chaotic to us, he oversees it all. There's one who knows the end from the beginning. There's one who promises to be working all things out for the good of those he loves and for his glory. We can trust him. Paul Mallard um, says this as he speaks about God's sovereignty. He just pointed and uh, reminds us about a chessboard. I don't play chess, so I I don't really have a clue. But apparently a chessboard has 204 squares. Is that right? Something like that. um, And it has 16 pieces, seven different actions that those pieces can do. That's all. Do you know how many different variations there can be? Just of those seven pieces, there are seven different actions of 16 pieces in those squares, those limited squares. There can be 48 million variations on a chessboard of different ways things can go. And that's just on something small. Enlarge that by the size of the world with all our different pieces, as it were, doing different things at different times. We just cannot grasp what is going on. But the God of the Bible, what seems like chaos to us, he sees it all. He sees the big picture. We cannot grasp all the different comings and goings, but God can see it all. And so we can trust him. His mind is bigger than ours. His wisdom is greater than ours. And so when chaos, it seems like chaos to us, we have to stand back and say, God, I don't get it, but I I need to trust you here. The throne of heaven over this glassy sea. Chaos before us, but before God, he sees it all. The other thing here that shows us some truth about God that comforts us is verse eight. Because these four living creatures we see that each of them have eyes all around and within. We see the eyes again in verse 6. Now, what's going on? Why are we told about eyes seeing everywhere and going everywhere? Well, the idea whenever we see these eyes in Revelation and in Ezekiel is that God sees. The throne is not blind to what is happening in our world and in our life. Now, again, pause on that thought. God is not blind to what is going on in your life. He sees it. He knows your life. He knows your heart. And so then we realize we can come to him. He cares deeply about your situation. Bring our lives before him. Bring our worries and our burdens to him. Maybe there are things in our life that we feel are unfair or unjust. 
we bring them to the God of justice. Maybe there are things happening all around the world that seem unjust, and it seems like people are getting away with things. But here we're reminded God sees everything. He sees all. He knows everybody's hearts. He knows everybody's motives. Here is a good, good God of justice, a good God of judgment. We can trust Him. So as the early Christians saw their friends and family being taken away, it seemed so unfair, so unjust. God, can you see what's happening? His eyes are everywhere. His eyes see all things. That should be a comfort to us this morning, that he knows and he sees. So come to him. Tell him your burdens. Tell him your worries. Tell him your concerns. Here in Revelation 4, the door of heaven is open. These truths are given to us to help us to keep going when it feels like we can't. To help us to keep going when it seems like there's just despair and darkness all around this is the reality this is what is really happening if you remember the the uh, account in uh, 2 Kings 6 there Elisha is being chased by the Arameans because he is um, giving information leaking information out, and the king of the Arameans wants Elisha dead and so in the night they surround Elisha's property and Elisha's servant goes outside and he looks and he is terrified because he sees one of the superpowers of the world with their big chariots and horses all there waiting to attack and get them. And then Elisha comes out, and what does he say? Oh, don't worry. The one who's for us, there's more for us than there are against us. And then he prays. He prays, Lord, open this man, this servant's eyes, so he can see properly what's happening. And then he saw chariots of fire all around. The reality was that God was there protecting, even though he couldn't see it with his eyes. The reality is, chapter 4 of Revelation is happening. It is true. There is a throne in heaven. There is a, a God who is seated on the throne. He is ruling and reigning over all things. There are those praising his glorious name because they cannot but do that because of his greatness and beauty. There is one who rules and we can trust and so let's pray this year, as that is revealed to us in the, in the book of Revelation, we see the reality of what's really happening. That our eyes look above what we see in this world. And so when we fear, we'll remember the one who is for us is more than those who are against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? So what truths can keep us going this year? God is bigger and more glorious and more beautiful than you realize. We are now entering into, as we worship and live for God, that is the purpose we are created for. We are part of something big. And when we remember God on his throne, there is a deep peace that comes from knowing his rulership, as it were, his leadership and his sovereignty. So let's pray. If you don't know this Jesus, turn to him now. If you don't know this King, he welcomes you. Let's pray as we, uh, before we sing our last song together. Father, we come before you, the great and mighty God, the King on the throne, the glorious one, the majestic one, the beautiful one, and we praise you. Help us, Lord, this year to remember that we serve a God who is on the throne, 
whatever this year may throw at us, whatever may lie ahead of us, please help us to remember the throne of heaven, the glory of our King who is seated there. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know this King personally, save and rescue them now, we pray. Would they reach out to you, the God of all grace? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.